0: Christchurch, New Malden, Sunday the 24th of September, 2023, 9.30 service. Ruth Henson speaking on Psalm 3. Well, as we've heard, we're continuing our series in the Book of Psalms with Psalm 3. If you've been here for the talks on Psalms 1 and 2, you will have heard that those are considered as introductory with our psalm today, Psalm 3, most likely the first song of the actual canon of psalms in this hymn book of the Jewish people. What is certain is that Psalm 3 is the first psalm ascribed to King David, and the first with a title. 73 of the 150 psalms are attributed to David, and 116 of the 150 have titles, or superscriptions as they are officially called. Unlike the titles added by translators, editors and publishers to the other books of the Bible, these superscriptions in the Psalms are original and should be looked to, to add context to what has been written. And in the case of Psalm 3, the context Is pretty extraordinary we read that it is a psalm of David when he fled from his son Absalom depending how familiar you are with the story of David you may immediately realize what a dangerous and difficult context is being cited David's family life makes the plot of EastEnders look tame and boring in comparison He accumulated eight wives and at least 18 children and the fallout from how events progressed had devastating consequences for many of them. Yes, David was chosen and anointed by God as king, is described as a man after God's own heart and has a key role in the family tree which leads to Jesus. But he also exemplifies flawed humanity and when he makes bad choices there are no half measures most famously he commits adultery with bathsheba and when she falls pregnant he tries to orchestrate events so that her husband uriah will believe the baby is his that plan fails so David instead arranges for Uriah to meet a sticky end on the battlefield. David does repent of his actions, as we read in Psalm 51, and God, forgives, God does forgive him and continues his grace and mercy towards him. But the human consequences and fallout in terms of family breakdown and loss of respect and good opinion persist. In the wake of his father's adulterous and murderous actions, David's oldest son, Amnon, rapes his half-sister, Tamar. David appears to have lost all moral authority as a father, and so neither does nor says anything about this terrible event, despite being described as furious. This leads Tamar's full brother, Absalom, to become set on a path of revenge, first against Amnon, whom he kills, and then against his father, deciding he will stop at nothing until he has stolen the very throne from King David. Absalom takes to standing at the city gate in Jerusalem and currying favor with those who sought an audience with the king by telling them that he approved of their requests but no representative of the king was available to sanction it. If only I was in charge, he would say, everyone would receive justice. And the fickle people of Israel were taken in and his following grew. He did this for four years before stepping up his plan by asking permission to travel to Hebron and then setting in motion a plot for his father to believe that the people in Hebron had declared Absalom king. David is told that the hearts of the people now belong to Absalom, so he feels he must flee Jerusalem with some of his men and some members of his household, in order to avoid the city and his followers being put to the sword. It is at some point during this fleeing from Absalom's plotting that Psalm 3 was written. Although there is no specific reference to the context beyond this superscription, we will notice particular nods to details of David's situation throughout the psalm. But the themes which David draws out can be applied to a multitude of situations, which is fortunate, as I'm hoping no one here can relate in any close way to the extreme situation the king finds himself in as if a coup wasn't enough to face. For David, this is also a bitter betrayal from his oldest son and an attack on his very identity, having been anointed as God's chosen king from his youth. Perhaps those themes of family breakdown and loss of identity may help us to think that there will be more in this psalm for us than if a violent usurping attempt was the soul context so with all that context in mind let's launch into the psalm itself and see what we can learn from david's words there might be a silent p in psalm but we've got all the p's to help us remember the lessons of this psalm peril and persecution in verses one and two prayer perspective and provision in verses three and four peace and protection in verses 5 and 6, and petition, promise and prophecy in verses 7 and 8. As an aside, Stephen was telling me before the service that there was a famous example of someone preaching from this pulpit, Ian Pryor, who uh, some of you will remember, uh, saying that he woke up in the night desperate for his third P, referring to a point he was making in his sermon. Well, I'm very glad I wasn't looking for all those P's in the night or I'd be, have been very busy. But firstly, peril and persecution. In these opening verses, David leaves us in no doubt about how overwhelming and multitudinous his troubles are. He repeats the word many three times, saying, Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. This may sound like hyperbole, but we read in 2 Samuel 17 that Absalom had the potential to muster an army as numerous as the sand on the seashore. So many actually seems like quite a tame choice of word, even used three times. The reference to many saying God will not deliver him leads us back to 2 Samuel to dig into the context once more. As David flees, he encounters a man called Shimei, a relative of his predecessor as king, Saul. Shimei attacks David physically, pelting him with stones, but it is words which are most damaging. He claims that David is now cursed by God rather than blessed, resulting in the kingdom being handed over to Absalom. David's men want to silence Shimei permanently, but David has other ideas. He says, My son, my own flesh and blood, is trying to kill me. How much more then, this Benjaminite? Leave him alone. Let him curse, for the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will look upon my misery and restore to me his covenant blessing instead of his curse today. David is clinging on to the hope of God's favour and mercy by his fingertips. But there are many who have written this off as an option. It is not that these people doubted God's power, but they doubted God would use his power to help David any longer. David the adulterer, polygamist and absentee father, with blood on his hands. Surely even David was now beyond the limit of God's grace, they thought, and aligned themselves with Absalom instead. As we hear David pouring out his woes to God in these two verses regarding the peril and persecution he is facing, we should just take stock of what is actually happening. David isn't informing God about the troubles he is encountering, filling him in because God is not aware of the situation. No, God is fully aware of all that David is going through. But this crying out to him is David's chance to lay his burden down at God's feet. When we face times of challenge and difficulty, we too should both trust that God already knows exactly what we're going through, but also realise that he wants us to lay down our burdens before him as we cry out to him and lift our situations before him, even if, like David, we are only clinging on to hope by our fingertips. In verses 3 and 4, we move on to prayer, perspective and provision. These verses start with the words, but you, Lord, which signal a major shift. Having laid the burden of his multitudinous troubles at God's feet, David is able to move from the depths of despair to a remarkably wholehearted confidence. This confidence has come from calling out to the Lord, as we read in verse four, and then hearing God's answer. What is our first instinct in a crisis or moment of desperation? To freak out, to question where God is and why he's allowing this to happen, to sink into self-pity, to become despondent and hopeless. These are all natural human responses and ones which we see expressed in various other psalms in the canon. But in this extreme situation, David, in spite of all his flaws and failings, inspires us with his choice to turn to God in prayer. It is easier said than done, but the transformative results are evident from the complete reversal we see in these verses. As long as we keep focusing solely on our problems and troubles, They will appear mountainous and insurmountable but if we can with God's help shift our focus onto him then we will receive the gift of perspective to contrast the awesome power and might of God with the problems which are threatening to overwhelm us God will become a majestic and mighty mountain of help for us and our problems will begin to diminish and fade in comparison. David listed three many's in the first two verses to emphasize the desperate situation he was in. But now he lists three ways in which God counteracts and overcomes. Firstly, he describes God as a shield around him. Note that God isn't giving David a shield, but is actually acting as a shield himself. Surrounding David with his protection. I'm reminded of the lyrics of the Michael W. Smith song, Surrounded. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. David would certainly echo those words. David then describes the Lord as his glory, as king. David would constantly face the temptation to garner glory from his power, authority and status. But now, at the very point when this earthly glory is in great danger of being stripped away from him, David remembers that his true glory is to be found in God and the honour and dignity which God blesses him with. After the military language of a shield, and the kingly language of glory the final element of this trio of ways that god responds to david's many troubles is far more tender and fatherlike, as god is said to be the one to lift up david's head it is unsurprising that his head has drooped along with his spirit and confidence as he is assailed by these many trials and dangers but God is able to gently lift David's head from its downturned state and help him to look up, ready to see the assistance on offer from his Lord. And the effect of this transformed perspective is very evident in verses five and six, where we read about peace and protection. If you were in David's situation, facing the utmost danger and betrayal from your nearest and dearest. Do you think you would be able to sleep? And yet this is what David is able to do, thanks to the peace beyond understanding which is on offer from God. Our second reading from Philippians 4 famously speaks of this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This isn't peace from the turmoil, but rather peace in the turmoil. God has the power to rescue, as we will see from the remaining verses, but at this point, David is still at great risk of danger from the tens of thousands looking to assail him. And yet he is able to find the peace to sleep thanks to God's enabling. Even as we are in the middle of desperate times and circumstances, we can lay our yearnings and struggles before God and find a peace beyond understanding. And alongside that peace, God also grants protection. Sleeping while on the run from your enemies might not sound like the most sensible tactic, but God honours David's trust in him and the king wakes safely to continue his journey. His knowledge of and trust in God's sustaining and protection allows him to say that he will not fear, even though he is surrounded by multitudes looking to attack him. We're right back at those Michael W. Smith lyrics again. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Do we have the God-given peace and confidence in the Lord's protection to be able to sing those words? Then finally, in verses 7 and 8, we find petition, promise and prophecy. There is more symmetry and poetic techniques to spot in these verses too. In verse one, David spoke of the many rising up against him. And then here in verse seven, he uses the same verb to petition God to arise on his behalf. In verse two, he quoted Shimei's words, claiming God would no longer deliver David. But here in verse seven, he uses the same verb to confidently cry out to God for deliverance. In the Hebrew, the tone of these verbs, arise and deliver, carry a weight of confidence and expectation so that David is laying claim to God's promises of rescue and salvation. When we can see no earthly solution to a situation we are facing, Or a problem which has the potential to overwhelm us we should be ready to cry out to god for his help and justice and we can also draw both comfort and confidence from god's promises and his longing to save and bless the first half of verse 8 translated in the niv as from the lord comes deliverance is often rendered as salvation belongs to the lord alongside all the practical help hope and encouragement we can draw from david's words in psalm 3 as we face challenges and struggles we should also notice the way this psalm foreshadows jesus to whom ultimate salvation belongs we may struggle to sing this hymn but jesus certainly sang it out From verses 1 and 2, we know that on the cross, Jesus was surrounded by enemies and heard people tell him that God would not deliver him, yet he still willingly gave himself for us. From verses 3 and 4, we know that Jesus looked to God to protect him from the permanence of the grave, to restore him to glory, and to lift his head from death to life. From verses 5 and 6, We know that Jesus slept in death, but then woke again in glorious resurrection. And from verses 7 and 8, we know that because Jesus has defeated the ultimate enemies of sin and death, and because he rose victorious, we can claim the promise that salvation belongs to the Lord, and through him comes blessing to all his people. Somehow, beyond our comprehension, David turned this horrible experience of family betrayal and facing death into a song of praise. This teaches us and gives us hope that God can use our worst trials to deepen our trust in him and to produce praise that will encourage his people. When it seems as though life is falling apart, we can experience God's peace by claiming his promises through prayer, which believes, trusts and hopes. When those prayers are answered, God receives the glory. We receive joy and God's people receive blessing. And alongside all of this, we are reminded of and spurred on by the ultimate deliverance and salvation to be found in King Jesus, great David's greater son. Whether this week ahead holds in store many dangers and troubles, or relatively few, may we be enabled to sing with David the words of Psalm 3, with all those words beginning with P to hopefully help us remember the different aspects. Or if that's too much to remember, perhaps those Michael W. Smith lyrics will stick in our brains more readily. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Amen.